The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Today we're kicking off our series, What the Bible Says About Various Topics, and so I thought it'd be appropriate to begin the summer, and topic number one is with the topic of what the Bible says about the gospel. Uh, the gospel. Uh, that is foundational, we believe, to everything. Very important. It's one of the most basic truths of Christianity. In many respects, it's a simple reality and a simple truth and a simple message on one hand. Then on the other hand, the topic of the gospel, what the gospel is, ends up being very confusing to a lot of people for different reasons. I think of a conversation I had a few weeks ago with a believer, Christian. I believe they're a Christian, but they were just brutally honest and in this conversation with me and we were talking about different things, and they just finally said, you know, I have one burning question that's really bothering me. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, what is the gospel? And this was after talking about a lot of different things about the Bible and just assuming they're a Christian and they, they are a believer. And they followed up with, you know, sometimes I'm just confused about what the gospel is. What is the gospel? I was so glad that they asked that question, thankful that they were honest enough to realize there was a little fuzz and fuzzy thinking and confusion about it because that's the most important question we need to answer is what is the gospel and hopefully at the end of today we'll we'll see why and so I just went through very simply what I believe the Bible teaches to be the gospel and it clarified things they were very thankful I think stabilized their faith gave them confidence again because they admitted that sometimes they doubt sometimes I doubt whether I'm a Christian or not or I understand the gospel and that's just being honest because we all doubt at different times about different things and part of being a finite fallen human being so uh, our faith needs to be encouraged but that's just one example that was recent that came my way reminding me of how important it is to understand the gospel to articulate it to explain it to make sure we're all on the same page because it is so foundational to everything else Yet the reality is in the Christian world in America, the evangelical world even, there is great confusion about what the gospel is. There always has been. There has been for 2,000 years in the church. Confusion, division, schisms, arguments between professing Christians about what the gospel is, just even its definition. This has been going on for 2,000 years. It hasn't, it's no different today. It's like every decade that goes by, we've got a new fight, schism, argument about what the content of the gospel is in the Christian world. It's been true in the last three, four decades very, on very specific issues, and now it's happening again in the evangelical world about what is the gospel and different professing Christians saying what it is. Uh, my goal today is just to delineate very simply what the Bible says that the gospel is. Hopefully that clarifies it in our mind uh, but before I do, just put it against the backdrop of some wrong views of the gospel under the umbrella of Christianity. In the Christian world, in the professing Christian world, in the evangelical Christian world, there are people articulating what they say the gospel is that is not the gospel. And just here's a couple that are common. Uh, commonly we hear of people talking about the gospel that I, I just put under the umbrella of deficient views. People are saying this is the gospel when it's not complete. It's not the complete gospel. Simply as the gospel is to believe in Jesus. And then they say that's it. Well, yeah, you have to believe in the gospel, but that's not the whole gospel. Tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So deficient views are not satisfactory. So the gospel is not to believe in Jesus. It's more than that. 
And then there's just, in addition to deficient views, there are people who have the right view of the gospel, but then they add to the gospel and complicate it by saying the gospel is to believe in Jesus and to have faith and to believe what Jesus did and to understand that you're a sinner. And then in addition to get baptized and be obedient and do the works of the law and obey the Ten Commandments and uh, go to confession, and then they add to the gospel with extra works. That is not the gospel either. That's gospel plus works. The other one was deficient. This one is encumbering the gospel with the works of human beings which cannot save. So those are kind of the extremes that have been typical for 2,000 years in the Christian world. Deficient views, overly complicated, smothering views, drowning out the simplicity and saving efficacy of the biblical gospel. And then there's a third area in the evangelical Christian world that's common today and has been throughout the entire church. That's just dead wrong views of the gospel. Wrong, heretical misrepresentations of the gospel. They've always been around and, and they're around today. There's too many. I can't enumerate them. But a growing one that's becoming more and more popular is actually the emerging view of the gospel. And it's almost like all the leaders of the emerging church are saying it louder and louder in unison. So there's unanimity on it. And just to distill it down for you, the gospel, according to them, is that there's no hell. Actually, they'd say there is a hell. It's just right now on earth. But there's no hell in the afterlife. It's not literal. It's not physical. It's not eternal. So they'd say that's the gospel. The good news is there's no hell in the afterlife. And part of that gospel that they preach also is that, well, the good news, everyone's saved anyway. People who've never heard the gospel, people in other religions, everybody's going to heaven. Literally, this is what they're saying. This is what they're right. They're not saying this in a corner, by the way. They're writing best-selling books on this and preaching it at the top of their lungs. And a lot of people in the Christian church are buying into it. So they say the good news is no hell. Everybody's getting saved anyway. Everybody goes to heaven. That's not the gospel. So those are just kind of a backdrop, like I said, to put it in stark contrast or relief of what the true biblical gospel is. And you can, kind of like a Bible study today, you can follow along if you want to at different verses I'll be looking at. Uh, but I, for convenience, I wrote out some of the most important ones for you there. So let's go ahead and look at it and see what the Bible has to say about the gospel. Because the gospel, I mean, the Bible is crystal clear. There is no mystery or surprise about what the gospel is. So if I don't understand the confusion in the Christian world. A question I frequently ask, whether it's Sunday school classes I'm teaching, groups of Christians, uh, what is the gospel? Write down your definition. They write it down, then I collect it and read it. It's kind of fun to read those. Seminary classes I teach, same thing. Ask the guys in apologetics class, what is the gospel? Write it down. And... <clears throat> And don't always get the same answer. Sometimes get conflicting answers from a group, uh, a room full of Christians or a room full of seminary students. And if the answers vary too much, that's, that's not good. So it just shows you, once again, the, the gospel needs clarification. So what I like to point out, or where I like to start when in defining the gospel, is just start where the Apostle Paul started, start where the Holy Spirit started, start where uh, the New Testament starts of a given definition from God about what the gospel is, and that's 1 Corinthians 15. So I just want to read this. So if you were to ask the question, what is the gospel, in 1 Corinthians 15, here's what the Apostle Paul says, as he was moved along by the Spirit of God. So you could say this is what God said, 1 Corinthians 15. God defined the gospel for us in definitional-like 
form. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now I make known to you, now I, the Apostle Paul, an authoritative spokesman for the God of the universe, say with binding truth and reality, that's Paul talking, now I make, not just some mere man, yeah, he was a sinner, but he's speaking for God. This is supernatural, divine binding truth. Now I make known to you, brethren, fellow Christians who are at the city of Corinth, who had professed to be saved. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. There it is. In other words, here's the gospel. I'm going to explain very concisely to you in two verses what the gospel is. So there shouldn't be any confusion. Well, what is it, Paul? Thanks for making this so simple. So I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. When they heard it from Paul the first time, they welcomed the message. They were pagans. They were Gentiles. They didn't grow up on the Old Testament. A lot of this stuff was new and foreign to them. It didn't come inherently. It was not innate knowledge. They heard Paul, the Jewish preacher who came from out of town to Corinth, preach this unique message to them. And for the most part, these people who heard received the message. They welcomed this new, amazing Unique and distinct truth. That's what it means. The gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. The gospel is your foundation of stability in life, by which also you are saved. There it is. The gospel is what saves. That is if you hold the fast, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you. In other words, if you believed it with knowledge, if you believed it sincerely, it saved you. Unless, of course, you believed in vain, which happens. Some people do that. So that's his preliminary information. And now he defines the gospel simply in verses 3 and 4. What is the gospel, Paul? Well, for I deliver to you as of first importance. Reading number one, what I also received, that Christ. That's the most important thing about the gospel. Christ, who he is. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. Isn't that simple? Short and simple. That is the gospel. Now, so I want to take 1 Corinthians 15 and just kind of uh, draw it out a little bit and explain all the individual components in Paul's divine definition. And that's what's represented here in points 1 through 7. So let's go ahead and look at this together. What is the gospel? First, let's start with point number 1, the meaning of the word gospel itself. The word gospel. That's a fun question to ask people. What does the word gospel mean? It's significant. Well, it just means good news. The word gospel means good news. It's a compound word in Greek. It's actually a, a the, the literal word is a Greek word, and it's made of two words. You, E-U, like an eulogy. E-U means good. A eulogy is when you say good words about somebody. Euangelion, angelion, spelled like angel, angelion, an angel is a messenger. So it's EU, good message, good news. That's what gospel means. So that should be first and foremost in our minds as a Christian when we go out and share and plant seeds with people that we are ambassadors of good news, good news, because that's what the gospel means. And if you're a Christian and all you're giving to the sinner is bad news, then you're not giving the gospel. If, only, if you're only giving bad news, you're not doing a thorough, complete job. We should be giving good news to sinners, to those who need to be saved. Right? It's like the, the doctor and you've, everybody's got a disease and you've got the solution uh, to the disease that can heal them. I've got good news. So, very important. That's what the word means. It's all over the New Testament. It's even in the Old Testament, by the way, this idea of good news, the message that saves, that came from God. 
uh, good news. Just a couple of them. Isaiah 61. So this is 800 years before Jesus was born was a prophecy about the Messiah, that the Messiah, when he comes, he will be a Messiah. He will be the God man, but he will also be a prophet from God, a supernatural prophet. And he will do ministry. He will do miracles, but he will also preach the good news. He will bring good news to the afflicted. What that means primarily is he will preach the good message. It's good news what Jesus preached. And then when Jesus was born, Luke 2.10, it was announced this about Jesus. I bring you good news. See, there it is. Same word. I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. What was the good news when Jesus was born? That the Savior had been born. A Savior for the world. And then Jesus himself used that word, gospel, good news, when he began his preaching ministry. So number one, what is the meaning of the word gospel? It means good news. And that allows... Uh, a stake in the ground for us to have a proper focus when we share the gospel. We are sharing good news. Point number two, well, what is the origin of the gospel? By the way, the gospel is a message. It's a specific message with specific content. Because sometimes when I ask people, what's the gospel? They'll say, the Bible. Well, no. The gospel is not the Bible. The gospel message is inside of the Bible, the content of the message is in the Scriptures, but it's not synonymous with the Bible. Or sometimes Christians will say, uh, when I ask, what is the Gospel? They'll say, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, that's not the Gospel. Those are the Gospels. They're called the Gospels. Throughout history, eventually they became called the Gospels because they're the four true historical accounts that describe the good news about Jesus' life and ministry. But the Gospel is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The message of the gospel is inside the four gospels. So that's very important to keep in mind. The gospel is a specific message that needs to be communicated, that people need to hear, that people need to assimilate and appropriate, embrace and believe in, that they might be changed. With that, we'll go to number two, the origin of the gospel. Where did this gospel message come from? Is it man-made? Is it human wisdom? Is it strictly just logic? No, it came from heaven. Heaven. The origin of the gospel... Heaven. The gospel came from God. God is the author. He's the designer. It is his plan. Uh, it is all about him. It is, none of it is about us. One well-known theologian recently has pointed out in his books and in his uh, teaching, um, he pointed out that one recent distortion of the gospel in the evangelical community is, and this comes from the quarters of the emerging church again, where people are saying, we are the gospel. Where Christians are saying we are the gospel. But that is not biblical. We aren't the gospel. We are sinners saved by grace if we're a believer. It has nothing to do with us. Jesus is the gospel. We aren't the gospel. We are salt and light who have been transformed by Jesus, who speak the message of the gospel, but we are not the gospel. It is from heaven. It is supernatural. It is divine revelation. It is special revelation. Uh, people cannot come to and deduce the gospel based on reason their intellect, general revelation, logic. The content of the gospel is totally alien, alien to us as humans. It is totally outside of us. God had to invade our world to give us the content of the gospel. It is holy and completely of heaven. God invaded this sinful world to give us this wonderful message. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, if you notice that phrase that was repeated two times by Paul was given the gospel... 
Jesus did this, died according to his sins, according to the Scriptures. Jesus was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. So that phrase, according to the Scriptures, underlines the fact that it is according to divine revelation, special revelation, divine prophecy that God gave to humanity. Its origin is from heaven and the mind of God Himself. So we cannot have a man-made gospel. Totally impossible. It is according to the Scriptures. Like I said, divine origin. Nobody could think this stuff up on their own except God and God alone. And He gave it to us. And that's why the onus is on the church and every believer to go out and give this message to unbelievers because they're not going to come up with the gospel message on their own or with their friends or in a dream or through logic or reason. That's why Paul said in Romans 10, how will they hear without a preacher? So that is a call to every Christian to give this message from heaven to humanity everywhere we go. According to the Scriptures, it is special revelation. That phrase also, according to the Scriptures, in light of the fact that the message came from heaven, also tells us because it's according to the Scriptures, it's according, that means also it's according to the whole Bible. The Gospel was not invented by Jesus when He was born in Jerusalem and had His ministry. And He said, repent and believe in the Gospel. That was not the first time God gave the Gospel to humanity. So the Gospel was not introduced to the world only with the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago. The Gospel has been around all throughout human history. The Gospel is in the book of Genesis. Can you believe that? I remember when I was in college at a quasi-Christian college, not at the Master's College, but another college, uh, in one of my religious studies classes, or like a Bible class, it was Old Testament survey, and on the first day of class, the professor said to all the students, we will not refer to the New Testament in this class because this is an Old Testament survey class. Do not try to raise your hand and talk about Jesus or the New Testament. This is an Old Testament survey class. The, Old Te- the New Testament has nothing to do with the Old Testament. And I was like, wow, well, I will never forget that. Because Jesus said just the opposite. Uh, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is all over the Old Testament. And just to prove it to you, just two places I want you to look at if you have your Bible, or you can just listen. You mean Jesus, the Gospel, the wonderful good news from God can be found in Genesis? Absolutely. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God created the world in six days. He created Adam and Eve. He told Adam and Eve uh, not to eat from a certain tree. They ate from a certain tree and God punished them and cursed them and they became sinners. And every person born of their loins has been born sinners ever since then. And they were condemned by God. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were headed for an eternal hell upon physical death. That's the bad news. But God is a good God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious, loving, saving God. So He invaded and went on a rescue mission to save Adam and Eve from their sins. And that's what God has been in the business of doing with sinful humanity for 6,000 years is saving sinners with a rescue mission in the content of the good news called the Gospel. So as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, got punished, and were about to get kicked out of the garden... And God told them that they were going to die. And God gave them all these curses. The bad news that He heaped on Adam and Eve. In the midst of all this bad news, God gave them the good news. He gave them hope. And that's Genesis 3.15. God said, I will put enmity or hatred between you, Eve, or I mean you, Satan, and the woman, Eve. And I will also put hatred and enmity between your seed, Satan, and your descendants, and her seed, her descendants. Somebody's going to come from the loins of Eve. A human is going to be born of Eve. 
He shall bruise you on the head. Satan, somebody's going to come who's born of Eve who is going to crush your head. Somebody is going to conquer Satan. Isn't that good news? That is the introduction of good news and the saving Messiah. And that's exactly what happened 4,000 years later. Jesus was born from the loins of Eve. He came in this world to conquer Satan, to crush his head and provide salvation. That is the good news. I'm not going to go to Genesis 12, but that's another formal place where God introduced the good news in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 12, God says that through a descendant, through a man, the coming Savior, God is going to bless the entire world. All nations will be blessed through this Jewish Messiah if they believe in the good news. So the good news, the gospel is according to the scriptures from beginning to end. It is the same message. It is timeless. It is transcendent. And that's why it appeals to all people in all cultures of all times, of all ethnicities, of all religions. They need to hear the true religion, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is according to the scriptures. This good news. Point number three. Well, why is there a need for the gospel? Why is there a need? Well, simply because of sin and death. Sin and death. I mean, I mentioned earlier uh, some evangelical uh, wrong views where people are saying, oh, everybody's going to heaven anyway. So if everybody's going to heaven, regardless of their religion or what they do and do not know about the Bible... There's no responsibility or onus on us to preach the gospel. Everybody's going to heaven anyway, right? All paths of religion lead to the same goal, we are told. Well, not according to the Bible, not according to Jesus. The world needs good news because there is horrible bad news. The problem is most unbelievers don't know the bad news. Most unbelievers don't believe the bad news. It's like when we talk to your average unbeliever about the bad news in their life, they don't want to hear it. What's the bad news in an unbeliever's life? Well, they are a sinner. And your average unbeliever doesn't want to talk about the fact that they are a sinner. They'll say, no, I'm not a sinner. I haven't murdered anybody recently. Or they want to talk about something else. They don't want to talk about their sin and their accountability before Creator God and Judge God. Because that's bad news. Sin is bad news. Sin is horrible news. It is horrific news. Sin kills. Sin brings death. Sin separates us from God. Sin is an affront to God. God must punish Sin. God must punish every sin. God must punish every sin with death. Not just physical death, but eternal death as well. That's what God says because He's a holy God. He can't tolerate sin. He's a just God, a righteous God, a perfect God. He must punish sin. And the bad news is, is that every human being born out of the loins of Adam and Eve is born into this world a sinner. We're born sinful. We are born condemned by God. That is the bad news. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2 says, and that's why Jesus said in John 3, therefore you must be born again. Every human being needs to be spiritually reborn because we are all dead spiritually by ourselves. So the bad news is, is we are doomed and condemned because of our sin, our personal sin that we are born with. And the result of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's what God has decreed. He is the judge. He is the creator. He is perfect. He is in charge. He makes the rules. Those were his rules. And it's a righteous standard from the wages. The wages of sin is death. 
So that is the bad news. And the world is in, lies in the lap of the evil one, Satan. That is also bad news. So this world is full of bad news. And this world doomed with bad news means they need good news, don't they? Sinners need good news. And the great privilege of the Christian is we are ambassadors of good news, of great news, of life-changing news, of eternal destinies can be changed by this wonderful, gracious good news that comes from God. By the way, 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is defining the gospel, he said, first and foremost, it's about Christ. And Jesus Christ died for our sins. So when we're talking about the gospel with an unbeliever, we need to talk about sins. Because that's what Paul said. That is the gospel message. We need to talk. Christ died for sins. Let's talk about sin. Let's define it. Then let's personalize it. We've got to get that person to recognize and realize that they are sinful. And as a result, they are separated in, from, uh, from the God who created them. And they need that relationship repaired or reconciled. And they can't do it on their own. It only comes down to what Jesus did. He's the only solution. And that brings us to point number four. What is the content of this good news? What is the content of the gospel? Just two things to summarize. This flows right out of 1 Corinthians 15, 2 and 3. The content of the gospel as you talk about it is who Jesus is and what Jesus did. In order for somebody to properly believe in the gospel and to be saved, to become a Christian, to have their sins forgiven, to be adopted into the family of God and to be accepted by the creator of the universe, they have to properly understand who Jesus is. They can't have a myopic, superficial understanding of Jesus, believing that, oh yeah, he was some Jewish guy. He was a great prophet. Oh, he was a good teacher. Yeah, I've read about him in the Encyclopedia Britannica. No. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just another man. He wasn't just a Jewish teacher or a rabbi. He was more than that. And here's the amazing, startling, scandalous information and message of the New Testament. That Jesus is God in a body. That was an affront to the Roman world, but it's truth. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus existed. But, so that's one thing we clearly need to tell the unbeliever. An unbeliever needs to understand who Jesus really is. Did you know that Jesus is God? Well, I thought he was the Son of God. Yeah, he is. He's called the Son of God, but he's God. As a matter of fact, the Son of God means that he is of the same nature as God the Father, which means he's deity, which means he's God. That's what that phrase means in the Greek and in the New Testament. It doesn't mean he was just only a human who was a byproduct and creation of the Creator God. He shared the very same nature and identity with Almighty, Eternal God the Father, which means Jesus is God. Jesus existed with the Father and the Spirit before the world ever existed. Jesus created this world with the Father. Jesus devised a plan of salvation for the history of the human uh, condition. And then after Jesus created this world with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus came down to this earth that He created and took on a human body and lived in it for 33 years. And as the God-man in a body, it was impossible for God to sin. And therefore, for 33 years, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. Moses sinned. Noah sinned. Abraham sinned. Peter sinned. Mary sinned. Jesus never sinned because He was God in a body. He was perfect. So the unbeliever, they need to understand that. This is the message of the good news. It's who Jesus is. He is God. He is Creator. He is Judge. He's the only Savior. He is eternal. He is uncreated. Because He is God, He is to be worshipped. He is to be prayed to. He is to be adored. All glory to King Jesus. That's who Jesus is, according to the Bible. And that is the very backbone of the Christian Gospel message. It needs to be clarified. Who 
is Jesus. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. Now for Paul, the word Lord summarized everything that was true about God as deity. And he was calling literally Jesus deity. The word Lord in the book of Romans is the same word used in the Old Testament that referred to God as Yahweh. Literally, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Yahweh. That's what he's saying. Yahweh, eternal God of the universe, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. That is good news. That is the Gospel. It has nothing to do with us. It's all about Jesus. Also, a point B there on the content of the Gospel, clearly articulating who Jesus is, and then we also have to talk about the work of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, especially when He came down here to this earth that He created as He was born as a virgin of Mary. Grew up, and at age 30, he began his earthly ministry as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, in accordance to his plan made in eternity past. What did he do? Well, the most important things are after he lived a perfect life for 33 years, without ever sinning in perfect, complete obedience to the law of Moses, he came here for one purpose, and that was to die on the cross. That's why Jesus came. He was born to die. That was not a mistake. He came here on a mission, a rescue mission to die. He died on the cross. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was planned by Jesus and the Father in eternity past. He died. He was crucified on a cross. They put nails in his hands and in his feet on a Friday, and he hung there all day long in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And Jesus knew why he was on the cross. He knew why he was dying. He knew that he was being punished for the sins of the world. I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus died that day for my sins. Every sin that I would ever commit was nailed to the cross and punished and absorbed by Jesus in His death. And as a result, I am totally forgiven of all of my sins. Who was punishing Jesus on the cross? Well, during the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, there was a national, international dialogue and everybody was trying to answer the question. Who killed Jesus? Who punished Jesus. And the TV shows were talking about it. The news pundits were talking about it. Journalists were talking about it. And it was this worldwide discussion. And some people were saying, well, you know, uh, Mel Gibson, he's an anti-Semite because in his movie, he says the Jewish leadership killed Jesus. But really, it was the Romans. Or it was Pontius Pilate. Or it was Judas. Or it was the Gentiles. And on and on. No, it was Satan. The one thing they didn't say in the entire dialogue, and I was paying attention, nobody said that God the Father killed Jesus on the cross. But Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus was born, it prophesied that God the Father would crush the Messiah through crucifixion on the cross. So that's the greatest answer. Were they all a part of it? Absolutely. As human agencies. But the plan came from God the Father, and God the Father unleashed His wrath that day on the blessed, sinless, substitutionary Savior, Jesus. God the Father poured out eternal wrath on Jesus for the sins of the world. And God, as a result, as judge, was totally satisfied and appeased. The penalty had been paid. Somebody needs to die for sin. Jesus, the blessed, eternal Savior, did. And as a result, we sinners, if we believe that about Christ and we believe in His substitutionary death, regardless of what we've ever done in our life, regarding sin, which condemns us to death eternally, if we believe in Christ as our substitute, all of our sins are totally forgiven. We do not face execution from God. We don't face uh, 
eternal judgment from a holy God anymore because it was totally absorbed in Jesus. He is the perfect substitute. And as a result, you can have forgiveness of sin. That is amazing, great, gracious news for the sinner. Because there are some horrible sinners out there, aren't there? There are people literally who think that they have sinned so bad and done such horrible things, there's not a God in the universe could forgive them for what they did. Wrong. It doesn't matter what your sin is. Jesus Christ died and got punished for your sin if you believe it. And if you accept His sacrifice on your behalf. Man, that is good. That's the best news the world has to offer. Because it's a reality. What Jesus did. Lived a perfect life as the God-man. Willingly died on the cross as a substitute for sinners. Absorbed the holy wrath of an eternal God in His own body. Conquered death by when He was buried, He rose again on the third day. Proving that He was more powerful than death itself. Ascended back into heaven 40 days later. And today, Jesus Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords over the entire universe as the Savior and Judge of the world. That's what Jesus did. That's what somebody needs to believe to embrace the good news. Well, what are the blessings when you hear this good news and you believe it and you appropriate it to your life? What happens? Well, amazing things. That's number five. The blessings of believing in the gospel. Simply stated, you receive spiritual life. Jesus said you must be born again. When you believe everything I just said and you cry out to God, God, save me. Be merciful to me, the sinner. I believe what Scripture says about Jesus. I believe He died in my place. Please save me. In that moment, Jesus, God, will save you. Supernaturally, invisibly, on the spot, completely, forever. And He imparts to you spiritual life. And at that moment, you become born again. It's amazing. I've said it a few times. I'll say it again. Because we have visitors today. That happened to me when I was 19. I was a total Gentile pagan, pagan, unbelieving, didn't know the Scriptures for 19 years, and then some... Christians were sharing the gospel with me and at age 19, at a moment of time, I cried out to God, God save me. Boom. He did. I was changed. The scales that were invisible fell off my eyes and my heart and I've been saved ever since. Secure in the palm of the blessed Jesus. And some of these spiritual blessings that happen when you get saved and you believe in Christ and you cry out to Him and you pray to Him and you ask Him to save you, In a moment of time, you're regenerate. You're born again. You come to life spiritually. You're spiritually dead. The moment you believe, you're regenerated. You are spiritually made alive. Primarily, that happens through the Holy Spirit of God who comes down from heaven and literally begins to live in you as a new Christian. That's what the Bible says. I have the Spirit of God living in me ever since I believed and became a Christian. The same Spirit of God who created the universe and raised Jesus from the dead. That's some supernatural power, isn't it? And that same Holy Spirit lives inside of every Christian. Amazing supernatural power. So when you have spiritual life, you are regenerated. You are forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future. You are adopted into the family of God out of the family of Satan. That's what Jesus said. You are reconciled to God and are now friends with Him when originally we were enemies of God. These are all benefits of spiritual life and becoming a Christian. You have supernatural power in the Holy Spirit. You have eternal security in your relationship with God because when you become a Christian, you're in the palm of Jesus and He will never let anyone snatch you out of His hands. So we have eternal security as believers. And then we also have divine protection from the world, from death, from Satan, from sin. It's amazing. So these are all the benefits of spiritual life, being born again, 
being a Christian that only comes through the gospel. Well, if, if you're not a Christian today, or maybe you're doubting, or you're not quite sure, or, well, I didn't really know that's what the gospel meant, and maybe you're pricked to the heart, and you're thinking, wow, I, I am a sinner. My conscience tells me I'm a sinner. I feel guilty at times before the God who created me. And I don't want to live with this guilt anymore. How can I be free? How can I be liberated? How can I have such confidence in the things that you're talking about and be forgiven of all of my sin and know the God of the universe on a personal and intimate basis? How do I do that? That is a great question. Here's how you do it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter preached the same message I just preached to a whole bunch of unbelievers. When, they, when he was done preaching, it said they were pierced to the heart. That means the Spirit of God brought conviction on their soul. And they couldn't close their mouth. And one of them spoke up and said to Peter, Brethren, what must we do? What he meant was, what must I do to be saved in light of everything you said? And then Peter simply responded and said, repent. Repent. And there's a parallel passage where he says, repent and believe. And Jesus and John the Baptist said the same thing. Repent and believe. Which takes us to point number Six, appropriating the gospel. How do I receive it? It's by faith and repentance. It is by faith. and re- It's believing. So how do I get saved? Just believe everything I just told you because it's right out of Scripture. Supernatural truth. Through the Holy Spirit, God will give you a supernatural capacity to believe these things. Because to the world, the th- everything I just told you sounds like crazy science fiction because this was not made up by man. And you need supernatural faith to believe it and embrace it. And God will impart that to you. But you need to believe. You can't, do, you can't do anything to save yourself. Well, I'll try to keep the Ten Commandments. No, you, you can't. It's impossible. I'll try not to sin anymore. Uh, it won't work. We cannot save ourselves. It has to be a work of God, not works by us. And that's why it comes down to faith. It's faith not in what I do. It's faith in what God did. And it's faith in what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And it's faith in the meaning of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It's wholly, strictly, completely by faith apart from any human works or human effort at all. Every false religion in the world wants to add works to the salvation of humanity. The Bible says no, it's completely by faith. So it's believing. And also part of that believing is repenting. Repentance is not a human work. Repentance is a gift from God that He does in the sinner's heart through the work of the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the truth of the Bible to bring them to a point to embrace Jesus Christ in faith. But we must repent. All that means is just recognize that you are a sinner and that separates you from Almighty God and you need Him to rescue you. That's what repentance means. And you just confess to God, God, save me. That's why when Peter said you want to be saved, repent. Repent. Look at Mark chapter 1. I got it on your outline there. Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. Summarizes Jesus' ministry this way. Jesus came not doing social work, not to write a book, His disciples would write books later. What did he do? Well, he came primarily to preach the gospel. That's what it says. Jesus came preaching the gospel of God, preaching the good news. And here was the essence of what he said. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, repentance and faith, they go together. That's the human response to God's unique message. And that's the same thing we, we tell people today. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent and believe in the gospel and you will be saved. Faith and repentance. Ephesians 2.8 says, It is by grace, God's grace, not yours. We have nothing to do with it. By God's grace you have been saved and it was all through faith. 
And even the grace and the faith was a gift from God. It wasn't a result of works that we did on our own. That's how salvation happens. Totally apart from human effort. Number seven. In light of these great, wonderful truths about the good news of Jesus Christ, and that it is only God's doing as He invaded the sinful world, that He went on a rescue mission to save sinners and adopt them into His spiritual family, that great news, as a result for the church, the Gospel, teaching the Gospel, preaching the Gospel, explaining the Gospel, is the priority of the work of the church. There are churches doing all kinds of stuff today that have taken precedence and priority over the Gospel. Literally. I mean, you can go onto some of the websites and first thing you see is they're doing environmental work and that's the biggest priority they have in their church. That's okay to save your aluminum cans and cash them in. I'm not against that. But that is not the main message and priority of the church. We are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are stewards of that heavenly message. We will be held accountable by God for that heavenly message. And it's the priority because it's the most important subject in the world. The priority of the gospel. Point, uh, just two points there. It is the first work of the church. 1 Corinthians 1.17, the Apostle Paul said, Jesus Christ did not send me as an apostle to baptize primarily. But what did you do, Paul? To preach the gospel. That was priority number one. Because you can't have baptism until you have the gospel articulated until you have people believe in the gospel, right? So the gospel has got to come first before everything else. In Acts 2.38, Peter said, "In order, what you must do to be saved is repent and then be baptized. Notice how repentance, intellectual belief and embracing of divine truth came first, then you're saved, then you get baptized. That's always the chronological order in the New Testament. There is repentance and faith and then baptism. Today, millions in churches all over the world have baptism first when you're a baby and then maybe later on you'll believe in the gospel. That's turning the gospel message on its ear. The gospel is the priority. It comes first. God didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. Luke 24, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, He called a holy huddle with His apostles and He commissioned them. And the commission is in all four gospels. And here's what He said. Keep the priority. Keep the focus. Keep it right. Keep it limited. Keep it clear. The main thing the church is supposed to be doing is gospel work. And Jesus said, quote, preach repentance for forgiveness of sins. Wow. Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations. It's the Great Commission. It is the main work of the church. Pastor Cliff, how come you're not selling lemonade at a lemonade stand to give to the Girl Scouts because they need money? Well, because I don't have time and God called me to preach the gospel. But I will give you 25 cents for a good cup of lemonade from the Girl Scouts for their lemonade and donate to the cause. But the church can't lose focus of its priority. It's gospel work. And then the second point there, uh, the gospel is the only hope for humanity, isn't it? And there are people offering all kinds of solutions and hope for humanity. Hollywood's offering its hope. Some would say, well, we've got to save the earth and do environmentalism. Or all these other religions offering their substitute for Christ and His gospel is the only hope of the world. When the Bible is clear, there's only one hope. It is Jesus Christ. Uh, Galatians 6.14, Paul made that clear. May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And I will close with this, John 14.6. Just a reminder that the Gospel, 
the person of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ is the only hope for a lost, dying, sinful, needy world. John 14.6, Jesus said this just before He died, rose again and ascended back into heaven. John 14.6, Jesus said to them, or to Him, I am the way, that means the way to heaven. I am the truth, that's all spiritual truth, and ultimate truth. And the life, spiritual life, forgiveness of sin, eternal heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father who is in heaven except through Me. The road is narrow, but the good news is Jesus and God has made access to that narrow road for any sinner that will come to God, cry out to mercy, and be forgiven. And God will answer that prayer all to His glory. And with that, let's go ahead and and pray and thank Him for His Gospel. Father, we do thank You for our time together. and We thank You for the good news of the Gospel about Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank You for who You are as the God-man. Thank You for Your love that compelled You to come to this world to save sinners. Thank You that You provided a clear message and a clear way of how that might be attained. Those of us who know You, we thank You for forgiveness of sin and new life in You and all the gifts that come with that. And those who don't know You, God, we continue to pray for them that Your message, Your Gospel would continue to work on their hearts that they might come to seek You as Savior. All for Your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.